Hey, it is, uh, it's springtime, and it feels good, and uh, the grass is turning green, and uh, hopefully uh, those of you that are here today got plenty uh, of rest this morning as you're waking up, and it's not so chilly outside, you don't have to p- pile on all the layers and everything like that, but uh, it is good to be together, and again, if you're, if you're new today and you're just uh, checking it out here today, your first time, uh, we are so glad that you're here, and uh, hope is a, is a good place uh, to be. I had a, a fellow come up to me a few weeks ago, um, and he said he was just out on his morning walk, and I, I'm not exactly sure where he lives, but, um, and I, I saw him in the back, and I was talking to him about a month or so ago, and um, I, you know, I was talking to him, and, and uh, he said, yeah, it's my first time here, I'm just kind of checking it out, and um, I said, well, how did you find out about us? And he said, well, I was just down walking below the bridge, and he came across the interstate, and I saw this sign that you kind of see out there on the corner, you know, by 42nd Street, and it said, hope. 10 o'clock. And he's like, I don't know what that is, but I could use me some of that, so here I am. So, and, and I said, well, you came to the right place then. And uh, I want to tell that to each of you this morning, too, that you came to the right place. You came to the right place, and God has uh, something in store for us uh, this morning, because he's here, and he promises where two or more are gathered in his name uh, that he is there uh, as well. So um, it's, it's Honesty Day, and um, I have a confession to make. This is quite possibly the greatest two weeks of the year. Quite possibly the greatest two weeks of the year. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am absolutely beside... This is flat. Um, It's not going to be good for the basketball game I had planned during worship, but uh, if I just suddenly break out in like a dunk contest, because those hoops are really low, you know, me and the north north side of the congregation break out into a little game and just pass around... I love March Madness, and I'm not talking about the kind of March Madness where the sirens go off in Des Moines and you don't know if it's a tornado or high winds, you know. I'm talking about basketball, baby. This is the best time of year. It's better than football. It's better than the Super Bowl. It's better than the World Series, and I don't care. I'm right. You're wrong. It's the greatest time of year. I bet you've never had a pastor tell you that before. It is the greatest time of year, and, and the games this year have been uh, absolutely uh, incredible. The, the NCAA tournament, it's it's, it's been well worth the hype. Um, overtime thrillers, last-minute buzzer beaters, um, shocking upsets, games. Games on four, four different channels simultaneously. What more could someone ask for? Absolutely amazing. And so if we, if we break out in a game, just, just go with me for a second. So um, we're in a gym, for crying out loud, and, and those are calling my name right now. Okay, sermon. So, um, you know, the, the, I don't know if you knew this, but the NCAA is in a five-year agreement uh, with CBS for the rights to televise all these games for $6 billion. A five-year deal for six, you can do the math about how much that is per year and per game and everything, all to put on TV 18, 19, 20-year-old kids literally, I can say that, I'm not that young anymore, I guess, Um, kids putting a ball through a bucket, putting a ball through a bucket, and it's really that simple when you think about it, or at least it was for Dr. James Naismith. So he's a Canadian-born instructor, physical education professor uh, in the late 1800s, at the International Young Men's Christian Academy Training School, you might know it as 
the YMCA, right? So YMCA, like the one right down the road here. So today it's Springfield College, and this is in Springfield, Massachusetts. So it's early in December, and it's 1891. And he's a PE instructor in a little kind of gym like this. And he's thinking, man, these are long, long New England winters, and I need to come up with some sort of silly, stupid game that's going to keep my students occupied inside because we can't go outside for recess, we can't go outside for PE. And so he wanted to come up with a game. And so after some thought, he decided, well, something like this. I've got these peach buckets, and I'm looking at my gym, and I've got two ends. And so I'm going to put up this peach bucket up against the wall, sort of like a basket. And then you put a ball in the basket, and originally you would just put it in, and it had the bottom in it. And that kind of got tedious to go and take the ball out every time, so then they just took it out. And this little silly, stupid game came to be known as basketball, 1891. And so here's Dr. James Naismith coming up with this silly game. And what do you think he would think if you told him that 100 years later, a TV station was going to pay $6 million to watch young men put a ball in a bucket. Pretty incredible, huh? $6 billion. Amazing things happen when you put an ordinary object in the hands of a master. Amazing things happen when you put an ordinary bucket in the hands of a master. And so similarly... In Jesus' day, people would travel long distances with a bucket or a jar on their head, not only for themselves, but to go to the well. Everybody say, hello, well. And they would go to the well, not just to get water for themselves, but for everything, for brushing your teeth, for making your Kool-Aid, for making your oatmeal in the morning, feeding your livestock, everything that you needed, you'd go to the well, and they would travel long distances and carry those buckets. It was a grueling task, and it was usually given towards the, the, the lowest of the low, the, the servants, the slaves, and in poor families, they would actually have to do it themselves, and so women would go to the well. They would have to do it themselves, and they'd go with the jars every single day. And see, the buckets themselves were pretty ordinary, but it's what goes in them that makes the difference. It's life-giving, and this sets the stage for our story today. So if you haven't already, flip open your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to be taking this sort of verse by verse and working through it today. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So John is the last gospel. Uh, The Gospels tell the story of Jesus' life. And if you're just joining us today, a quick reminder of where we've been. We've been in this sermon series, as you can see, called Water for Life. And that's our Lenten sermon series here at Hope at all our campuses in West Des Moines and Ankeny and here at City Branch. And a few weeks ago, we we kicked off this series and and we talked about when Jesus turns water into wine. And and we we talked about getting getting in the right uh, routine and getting uh, the right uh, balance and rhythm in our life. Last week, and it's how Jesus moves through, especially the Gospel of John, and takes this basic, simple image of water and communicates something very profound. Jesus has this incredible ability to take ordinary things and communicate deep spiritual truths. 
to raise our view, to help us see that there's not just an unearthly way of viewing it. And Pastor Mike talked to us about this a couple weeks ago, that there's, with all these stories, there's a human perspective, there's an earthly view, and Jesus says, I want to raise your view, I want to raise your perspective to see things from a kingdom mindset, to see things from a kingdom perspective. There's always something going on below the surface, and that's certainly true today. So for those in Jesus' day, going to the well was about as ordinary as us stopping at Come and Go or Casey's to fill up with gas and get your coffee in the morning. It's about as ordinary as ordinary gets. It's just what you do. And I have this sense today that there's some of us that are here today that at one point or another have said about our lives, well, this is just the way things are. This is just my routine. This is just what I do. This is the way that our family is. This is the way we are. This is the way my marriage is. This is just how I do it at work. This is how I survive another week of work. This is my current experience of God. I just do my little Christian thing, and that's it. And I am satisfied with that. That's my current experience of God. And how many of us have settled into that way of thinking? And I have to imagine that for the Samaritan woman that day, her current experience of God was little to none, but nothing could have prepared her for what she would encounter that day with an ordinary bucket heading to an ordinary well. So let's dig in. John chapter 4. Let's take this, uh, take this apart here. So verse 4 says, now he had gone, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Say Sychar. It's kind of fun to say, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, and when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? So let's back up the truck a second here. A few things you got to know. There is about 20 things in those three verses that for a Jewish man to do at that time are completely unacceptable. Jesus is completely destroying everything that a good Jewish male is supposed to do. And so this is a really a story. John chapter 4 is a story of Jesus shaking it up, shaking it up. Kind of elbow your neighbor and say, let's shake it up. Let's shake it up a little bit. So Jesus is shaking it up, shaking it up. Verse 4, verse 4, he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. You might think, okay, that's just a throwaway sentence. Duh. But take a look at this map. Take a look at this map. If you can kind of see it. The two similar colored parts, the green parts on other side, the bottom is Judea and the top is Galilee. And that middle part there, just right along the coast, is Samaria. So when your text said he had to go through Samaria, he literally had to go through Samaria. But... What you have to understand about this story is that he didn't necessarily have to go through Samaria. There's another way around. Not the shortcut, the the, the main way of going through, but for Jews, they avoided Samaria at all costs. He had to go to Samaria just like I have to go through Ankeny to get to Ames. But it might be helpful for here to know that Jesus was a Jew. And for Jews to even go near Samaria would be like, I was trying to think of this, and this is the best I could come up with, so I, I apologize. But it'd be like an avid Iowa State fan having to, to, to walk by foot to go from Des Moines 
to Chicago, and on his way, he's got to spend a week walking through downtown Iowa City, wearing an Iowa State collar and bringing the Iowa State band and singing the Iowa State fight song, and there's Iowa people lying the streets. That's what it would be like for a Jew to go through Samaria. You just didn't do it. You avoided it at all costs, or something like that. So in other words, the Jews had this intolerable disdain for Samaritans, even to the point of calling them half-breeds incapable of receiving God's favor. Samaritans, nothing to do with them. So for most Jews, the way to Galilee was not through Samaria, it was around, ooh, look at that, around Samaria. Not through Samaria, around Samaria. Maybe by boat, around Samaria. This general area, okay, could do something. Okay. I am goofy today. Um, around Samaria. So here's Jesus again, shaking it up. Say, shaking it up. Jesus is shaking it up. He's, he's changing all of the cultural norms. So they come to a well in Sychar. Why a well? Well, to be honest, because Starbucks really hadn't been invented yet. And I'm serious. I'm absolutely serious. The closest thing that we could incorporate a well in Jesus' day is to a modern-day coffee shop. You think about what is a common place that people meet right? A coffee shop, a restaurant, but they didn't have Starbucks and they didn't have Caribou and so they had Jacob's Well, a neutral gathering place. And so if Jesus was on his way to Omaha and he's traveling down 235 here out of Des Moines, well, no, he's on his way to Omaha. He's coming from Story City because that's where I'm from because he was at my house hanging out. And he's on his way to Omaha. Jesus is probably going to swing off Interstate 235 and grab a, a smoothie at Smoky Row there on MLK, and then he's going to head on his way. And he might even hang out with you and sit down for a conversation at the coffee shop with you. So we can kind of imagine what's going on here. But in this day, it was Jacob's well, so he's going to shake things up a little bit. Second way that he's shaking it up, look at verse 7. This is full of it. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? So many things wrong about this. So many things wrong in this view. And Jesus says, I want to raise your view and show you that there's so many things right about what's going on here. So, from an earthly perspective, what's wrong with this scene? First of all, you've heard about Samaritans. We don't like the Samaritans if we're Jews. And now he's talking to one, and she's a she. (gasps) She's a she. Historically and traditionally, Jewish men did not speak in public to women, even their own wives. It's a patriarchal society. So for Jesus to speak to a woman alone at a well, he's a Jew, she's a Samaritan, he's shaking it up, he's shaking everything up. For a rabbi like Jesus, this, would, would, this is terrible. And then finally, then there's the fact that she's not exactly well to do. Women of influence and women that were a little bit more wealthy would never go to the icky, slimy well and have to travel across the desert. She's pretty much the lowest of the low in society. And so that's all we know about her without even getting, <laughs> getting to her background, really. And so before Jesus meets her, she's got labels all over her. Have you ever been labeled in life? You ever had a label put on you, most likely by other people? Preppy, (laughs) jock, 
nerd, country boy, city girl. But what about those labels that really stick for a long time? Loser, has been, screw up, failure, addicted, divorced, even those Christians. For me, it was Bible boy growing up, PK, right? Pastor's kid. So I was the Bible boy, and I really grew to be really, really angry with that label that had been stuck on me. And so maybe it could have been us at the well that day, sitting there with all of our labels. Yet despite this woman being the most unlikely person that Jesus could have encountered that day, he chooses to stop here at Jacob's well, and he asks her for a drink. The living water himself asks literally the scum of the earth for a drink. Wouldn't it be great if there was somebody that would actually see past our labels? That would love us even with our labels? That would love us beyond our labels? Enter the rabbi from Nazareth, shaking it up again. But there's more to Jesus' pit stop than just defying cultural norms. Jesus didn't come to just shake it up. You see, there's a woman there at the well, behind all these labels, and there is a woman, a person, a child of God that is hiding, who's decided, this is just the way it is. This is my routine. This is what I do. I go to the well at noon. And how do we know? Look back at verse 6 with me. Look back at verse 6. Just a tiny detail, but it says this, and it, it's huge. It was about noon. It was about noon. Who comes to a well in a desert at high noon? People that would rather not be seen. Right? Wouldn't you come at 4.30 or 5 in the evening or in the morning, right? Those of you that work construction, are you going to work at high noon and work your hardest? No, you're probably going to go at 6 o'clock in the morning before it gets warm. Somebody that doesn't want to be seen. And so remember, the reason you go to the well, the reason you go to a coffee shop is to be seen, right? It's to hang out with your friends. It's to connect with people. It's to be known, but not her. She comes alone because behind her mask, behind all the labels, there is a woman who longs to be known. One of the difficult things about these stories in the Bible is that we never get to hear from the person themselves. It's not like they can just pop out of the page and, and boom, then there's this woman sitting here at our magical well this morning. Wouldn't it be cool if we could hear from her directly? And I've always wondered what was really on her heart that day. What if she could speak to us today? What would that be like? Well, I want to show you a little video and in a little slightly modernized way. It's a, it's a form of poetry called spoken word. And maybe, just maybe, it went something like this. Let's take a look. I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation, save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take the time to look at me or even get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and otherwise what's the point in doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look at my face and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears. 
but to see all that I am and could be, all my hopes, loves, and fears. That's too much to hope for, to wish for, or pray for, so I don't, not anymore. Now I keep to myself, and by that I mean the pain, pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that's brought me here at midday to this well. To ask for a drink is no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner. No drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man with little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me, but don't need to get to know me for to be known is to be loved and to be loved is to be known and you know me you actually know me all of me and everything about me every thought inside and hair on top of my head every hurt stored up every hope every dread my past and my future all I am and could be you tell me everything you tell me about me and that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, hope, and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me. And here in my presence, you say I am he. To be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, sinners and saints, who should hear what you've told me, who should see what you've shown me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. And they all need this too. We all do need it for our own. That's cool, yeah. So maybe something like that. There's a lot more going on here underneath the surface. To be loved is to be known, and to be known is to be loved. And don't we all long for that? Doesn't every single one of us want to be known? I mean really known, not just by our labels, but for who we really are, just as we are. I think the big fancy church word for that is Grace. Grace. Now let's think about that this week. Isn't that kind of what marriage is? To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And I accept you just as you are. Grace. Because to be loved is to be known, and to be known is to be loved. And Jesus offers the woman that day at the well both. Because it's going to take some pursuing. It's going to take some breaking down of her walls because on the outside, on, on this earthly level, she's got a bucket and she's going to try to get it full of water. But you put that down and on a spiritual level, she's empty. She's dry. She's as empty as you could get. In fact, in the next several verses for the rest of this story, we find there's several areas of her life where she keeps coming up dry. There's a few life buckets that she's been using to try to find living water. Jesus addresses these through these these three crucial areas of her life where she's looking for life and she keeps coming up empty. Jesus says, "Do you really want to know what's going on here? Or do you just want to see it as a nice little Bible story and go on your way today?" It's a woman who keeps using the wrong buckets to fill up her soul. Buckets with gaping holes that we've tried to cover up. Things we run to to try to get filled up. There's two things that I believe are true for all of us today. One is we're all thirsty. One is we're all thirsty. And secondly, we are all created for the living water. The question is, what are we using to get that living water? 
the question for the Samaritan woman, and the question is for us, what are your buckets? So out of the prop closet comes our buckets. And so today we have a few different buckets that I would like to describe for you. And the first bucket is the bucket of routine. Say routine. 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 The bucket of routine. The second bucket is the bucket of relationships. The bucket of bucket of relationships. And the last bucket is the bucket of religion. Bucket of Oh, all right, you got it. You got it. You're smart. I could do that all day. That's a lot of fun. Okay, so we got the first bucket, and that is the bucket of routine. It looks like it might have come out of my neighbor's garden. It's the bucket of routine. So we've already heard that this Samaritan woman has a routine. She goes to the same day, she goes to the same well every single day at noon, and she's alone. And she tries to get filled up, but it's not working. It's the bucket of routine. We all have routines, but skip ahead to verse 13 with me. Back to the text here for a second. Verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And let's focus in on this last line. Verse 15. Look at this with me. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. There's a bit of, huh, in her response. Why do I have to keep coming up empty? And it's here that we get a glimpse into her heart for the very first time. She's tired not just from the walk every single day to the well. She's tired of being alone. Is anybody tired of being alone? You ever been there? She's tired of hiding. She's tired of the routine. And just like many of our routines, this bucket is pretty blah. Our routines, a lot of them are just blah. And and I'm not saying that routines can't be healthy. We have a lot of healthy routines. But I'm talking about those routines, those things that you go back to over and over and over again to try to find life. It's Maybe it's that old job. Maybe it's that old job that started out as a joy for you to do, but now it's just become a ladder to climb. It's that job that you have that's turned into a place where you actually find your value and your worth and a way to keep up with the Joneses. I got to climb the ladder and it's more, it's maybe just, for you, it's maybe more of an escape. I'm going to stay late at the office because I really don't want to go home and address the issues in my own home and my own Marriage. I want to keep going and going and going because I don't want to slow down and have to look that person that I've become in the mirror. I'd rather keep up with my routine. With my routine. So 40 hours becomes a 50-hour week, and 50 hours becomes 60, and that's just how it is. That's the routine. And you see, we love... We love to point fingers at the drug addicts and those with alcoholism. But doesn't it kill your soul just as much to have workaholism? (laughs) To be a workaholic? We love to point fingers of judgment at alcoholics when a lot of us are workaholics and it's killing us on the inside. It's the bucket of routine. 
and it's killing us, and every single time we try to do more and more, it's incapable of drawing the life-giving water. It's the bucket of routine. So maybe for you it's not work, but maybe yours is a physical appearance. You keep going back to that. Maybe it's the latest fad or it's the newest style or it's, it's the idol that you've made of that woman that's on the cover of the magazine or that image of the artist or the band that you want to be. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's, it's something that's become all-consuming to the point where you don't know who you are apart from your hobby. I find my identity in being physically fit. I find my identity in performing in being up in front of people. For others, it's the routine of pleasure. I know, I know there's got to be something more to kind of fill that void, so I'm going to keep running back to those sites on the internet, to those magazines, to those TV shows, to those sitcoms, so I can get a little kick, so I can get a little bit of pleasure in my day because I'm feeling empty, and I'd rather get lost in somebody else's life than rather deal with the own issues of my own life. It's the bucket of routine. What is your default coping mechanism? When life gets hard, where do you turn? Unfortunately, with the routine bucket, it always comes up empty. Not working. What's next is the relationship bucket. The relationship bucket. Good memory. So back to the story. Look at verse 16 with me. Verse 16. Verse 16. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. She's what you might call busted. You ever been there? exposed, completely vulnerable. So right through the barricades, right through the walls and years and years of hiding and shame, Jesus kind of takes a page out of Superman's book here and uses his x-ray vision and sees right through her and sees right into what she's dealing with. Because to be known is to be loved and to be loved is to be known. And the truth is probably the most difficult bucket in this woman's life has been relationships. And again, we're not talking about those healthy relationships that we encourage you to have in your small group and your mentors and your friends. What are the relationships that you keep running to in your life looking for love and value and validation in instead of resting in your identity as a whole, complete, independent person in Christ before anybody else in this world gets to tell you who you are? What do you notice about the relationship bucket? (laughs) busted. It's tattered and torn. And maybe your relationship bucket is too. In your youth, in your innocence, it was brand new. (laughs) Perfect cup, ready to receive life. No holes or wounds. But over the years, the mistakes, the regrets have gotten the best of your relationship bucket. And just like the routine bucket, We keep using it, we keep going back thinking that it's going to work over and over again because it's our default. So many of us run from guy to guy or from gal to gal looking for that person that's ultimately going to fill us up only to be let down again and torn one more time. 
You see, it's not the desire for relationships in this case that's bad. It's what we're using to find life. It's what we're running to to try to find that love and that validation. It's okay to long for that, but we'll always come up empty when we let a member of the opposite sex tell us who we are and what our worth is. So back to the Samaritan woman. Just as important as what Jesus does here is what he doesn't do. Yeah, he calls her out. He doesn't avoid her sin. He sees right through her eyes and into her soul. But every other man that she's ever encountered offers a sneer or just a glance of disgust. But not with this rabbi. With this rabbi, there's no labels. There's no condemnation for a torn-apart relationship bucket. Only grace. And the same is true for you. Do you know that today? Do you know that he can make broken things new again? No judgments, just the answer for her and the answer for you, for your thirst, living water. But unfortunately, a lot of us still run to the relationship bucket. And as silly as it looks on the outside, it's the only thing that we know. It's our coping mechanism. Because I feel good when somebody else tells me who I am instead of letting him first tell me who I am. And we go back to that bucket. (laughs) And it's not worth (laughs) much at all. The relationship bucket's not getting it done either. And lastly... Our final bucket, the bucket of, religion. say it with me, the bucket of, religion. the bucket of religion. The bucket of religion, you might sense, well, that's good. It's nice and shiny and it looks good on the outside. Certainly this one will work. Certainly religion will solve all of our problems. Look at verse 19. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now you might think, okay, what's that all about? This is right after she's gotten called out by the God of the universe. (laughs) This stranger exposes her deepest, darkest sin. And what does she do in response to her broken relationship bucket? She pulls out another bucket. (laughs) She's like, oh, I can cover it up. She doesn't even address the fact that she's just been exposed by a complete stranger who knows her entire life. She brings out another bucket to cover it up because that's all she knows. Some of us have been a Christian for years and years and years, but we've never been healed. We've never let God into those places and those those secret places of our heart that we need healing desperately. You can be a Christian your entire life and never be whole. If you keep using the wrong bucket to find that life. So I know, says the woman, religion will solve it all. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet In other words, all right, so rabbi, you're some religious guy. You know, well, my ancestors have worshipped here, but then you Jews think that you're God's favorites. What? If you were her, wouldn't you just be sitting there sobbing? You just got your mail read. You just got your deepest, darkest sins exposed by a complete stranger, and your response is, oh, well, you don't know everything about me. I'm pretty religious, too. But how often do you and I do the exact same thing? Some of you right now in your walk with God are at a breaking point. But when it comes to those conversations that you're having with each other, 
And when it comes to those conversations you're having in your small groups, you get to a deep conversation with your Christian friends, and instead of coming clean, and instead of humbling yourself and admitting your weakness, you pull out the religion bucket again, and wow, you say, wasn't that an inspirational small group Bible study we had? Wow, that was great. What awesome fellowship we had tonight. Thank you so much for your prayers for that struggle, and we will see you on Sunday for worship. What Jesus says to the woman and what he says to all of us today is, I appreciate your church attendance, but I want your heart. I want your heart. And so Jesus responds in verse 24, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Truth. Admitting that you're not a super Christian. Admitting that you need a savior. Admitting that no amount of Bible study or Christian activity is ultimately going to fill you up. And you can keep going to it again and again and again. And it seems appealing at first because after all, I'm staying busy for God. Look at all these great religious things. Look at all the things I'm doing for you, God. Look at all the great things I'm doing. But for some reason, I'm still empty. And so the woman says to Jesus back in verse 11, how are you going to drink, Jesus? You don't have a bucket. And honestly, Jesus says, ma'am, I don't need a bucket. I'm the water. I'm the living water. I'm what you're looking for. I am life, Jesus says. So I want to ask you today, what are your buckets Maybe they're not the three things we talked about today, but what are your buckets? What are those things that you keep holding on to? And what is it for you? You see, the reality is most of us actually have several buckets. And so on the outside, we're Christians for pity's sake. So we're happy and everything's going well and, and we feel so connected to God and we, and we feel close. And so we end up going to the well every single day and we're trying to use our different buckets. We end up going to the well like this and I'm losing half of my bucket and we end up going to the well to try to draw water. And after a while, this just gets really tiring and Jesus just says, stop and worship me in spirit and in truth. Maybe today it's time to drop the buckets and know that the one who is the water of life is standing in front of you today saying, I am he. Maybe it's time to stop going to the same well with the same old buckets looking for the strength and the healing and the freedom and forgiveness that you so desperately need. Where are you going to turn this week when you're thirsty? Will you go back to your buckets? Or will you sit down? Will you sit down like the woman at the well? And will you be with the rabbi this week? Will you sit at his feet and allow him to look past your eyes, past your labels, and look into the depths of your heart? Because he wants to set you free. He wants you to know 
what it means to have life and have it to the full. He wants you to know that he is the resurrection and your life. Not religion, not relationships, not routine. The living water himself. Maybe it's time to drop your buckets. And if Jesus can meet a Samaritan woman at noon at a well, then maybe he can meet you in whatever circumstances you find yourself in today. And my guess is that she never saw the well the same way again. And most importantly, she was never the same again. And it all starts, Dr. James Naismith would be proud. It all starts when you put an ordinary bucket in the hands of a master. And that is way more exciting than March Madness. That's good news for every single one of us today. Are you thirsty? It's time to get filled up. Let's pray.